This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Laura Turner. Hello and welcome to another special edition of Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. I'm Laura Turner. Our guest tonight is going to take us on a walk down memory lane, or more accurately, a stroll down a few of the streets in our cities and towns that host some of the most significant homes in our history. He's a comedian, architecture enthusiast, and a self-confessed design nerd. And in his new documentary, Designing a Legacy, on ABTV, ABC TV, he takes us across Australia to meet the families whose lives have been shaped by the exceptional designs of their iconic homes. It is my pleasure to welcome Tim Ross to Great Australian Lives. How are you, Tim? Oh, Laura, I feel that I've had a great Australian life. It's not over yet, though. It's still going okay, but it's a pleasure to be chatting to you. So thank you so much for for having me on the program. It's a pleasure to have you. And I've got to say, when I knew we were interviewing you and had a read into, you know, your passions in terms of architecture, I got so excited because I love old homes and I love, um, you know, mid-century and even Art Deco stuff. I'm not someone who knows anything about terminology or anything like that. I just love them. So, uh, and I'm sure uh, my producer will be very excited to produce this episode too, because we both love all, you know, old Australian homes. So, uh, hope our listeners do too. Um, and, and for our listeners, um, your voice will be familiar to many of them, especially those who listened to Triple J in the late 90s and early 2000s. Of course, you were part of American Rosso, weren't you? I certainly was. And it was uh, we had a great time for, God, I don't know how many years we worked together for, but it was there was it was a significant amount of time. And, um, you know, we, just, we were a couple of young guys in our 20s and we started working together in the pubs of Fitzroy in the early to mid 90s and then found ourselves out on radio and television and um it was it was a real thrill actually and Merrick and I often talk about the excitement of when those things when your career starts to take off it's a it's a brilliant feeling um (laughs) and things you feel like you've been you know you don't know where you're scratching around trying to make a career work in the early days and you don't quite know how to do it and if you don't know anyone who was successful you just keep throwing everything at it and then you know things just sort of you know snowballed for us and um i remember doing a show in adelaide and it was bizarrely was in an old car park and it was at that time in sort of you know early days of internet and so we're on the radio a little bit but mostly doing stand-up and so i i remember that we were people didn't people didn't know what we looked like and i remember walking past 200 people and them not seeing and and who were lining up to the show and thinking we were the people who were you know serving the drinks or working in the show so um that that changed pretty <laughs> that changed pretty quickly and and we were lucky enough to get on the radio and have a national show on triple j and then you know the commercial radio beckoned in the early 2000s and we went off and started the nova network which was which was a great thrill and um certainly a, a career yeah. highlight 
How does the, the, the comedian, the radio host, the TV guy end up, um, you know, the architecture and design guy? Was that always on the cards? Yeah, I was, my father was an antiques dealer and I suppose he was, he was always sharing with me the, the providence of things and he was always bringing things home. And so there was, um, there was always interesting things in the house and my father was, was always fascinated by the story behind what made things tick or where they came from. So it was hard not to somehow take a bit of that on. Um, me, so, me more so than my brothers, to be honest. And then I was also a kid of the suburbs where some of the best architecture that we have happened in my own backyard in Mount Eliza on the Mornington Peninsula. And so as yeah. a kid riding my bike around, you know, there was all these great architects who designed houses and somehow they're like the great songs of Hal David and Back- Bert Bacharach one day without ever owning one of the albums. You, you, you love every one of the songs and and I think architecture got under my skin like that and, and at the start you talked about not knowing the terminology and I just don't think it's important because what we're essentially saying the same thing which is is an understanding of how what architecture makes you feel and that it there is a, a visceral response to space and to what we can create and much of that for us is form is from our formative years it's a house around the corner that was more interesting than our own that we used to see or as our grandparents home or a friend from school who had something pretty groovy or something very beautiful or something very considered um and all those things sit in the back of our minds if you allow them to and that's certainly what happened to me and i always collected what they call mid-century modern furniture, sort of furniture from the 50s and 60s, and your listeners would know them as, you know, those classic Tessa or Parker furniture or Chiswell Parker that, yeah. you know, people had, their parents had or grandparents Which had. Which is or so expensive now. <laughs> yes. And so that that was always an interest of mine. I bought a 1950s house and it just spiralled out of control and, um, you know, the circumstance allowed me to, to, to turn it into a full-time job. Well... Yeah, you're a man after my own heart. I remember my um, great grandmother had a little a little house in Flemington, and um, I remember going there for holidays. And she had one of those old tables with the chrome around the edges and the '50s chairs, uh, and those you know those um, sort of metallic cups that are always cold that you would drink out yes. of, and they come in the the, uh, the leather. Uh, case. Well, I found myself sort of subconsciously, I, I own two of those tables now and the cups and trying to replicate, I think, that thing from my childhood. Um, just, and I, I'm, people think I'm a bit of a junk collector, but I, I'm obsessed with all that old stuff. So I love it when people like you, um, you know, expose that world to, you know, a greater audience and make people appreciate um, what we had and stop knocking it down. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you, you touched on a really good point because I know those cups you're talking about that, and they, you know, they, and the picnic cups. And I love the sort of the tactility of, of those. They're Australian design, those, and how the, the you can talk about that. And, and I know what it feels like to zip the top off them and pull that lid off and take the cups up. I can hear the sound that those those aluminium cups yeah. make. I can I can see the, 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 the small lines the around them. And, and so and they're important <laughs> but simple but important moments in our lives. And I, I sometimes one of the things I like talking about in terms of Australian innovation and design and, and our connection to it is the classic Australian dolphin torch. 
and it's the same thing if you yeah. if you think about the dolphin torch you can hear the sound of it in the back of the car the 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 sound it makes and the clicking and, when and you turn it on the, the turn it off and the way that you hold it and an Australian designed that in Sydney a guy called Paul Coburn in the, in the early 1970s and that torch went on to be the highest selling torch anywhere in the world for 12 years um Did it? you know and it's wonderful moments of Australian innovation that we don't celebrate that we're so um, great design, yeah. so deeply embedded in our DNA, I think. What are your feelings about the Hills Hoist? We just bought a little holiday house in Mildura, Victoria, and uh, got a great Hills Hoist in the backyard. And I said to my partner, we are not getting rid of that. That is iconic. Do you feel the same? They're, they're a space killer, the the Hills Hoist. Um, <laughs> they are, not, but there's, have you ever swung from one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, they're great to swing on. Uh, I, we pulled ours out. My wife didn't like it. I loved it. Oh. I, I'd repaired it, and they're so evocative. But I know I understand why people get rid of them. But I, I, it hurt me deeply to move move ours on. Um, yeah, I'm disappointed in you. Of, what about the, the old game that you would play? Play the spin it round. Goon yeah. of fortune. <laughs> The good of fortune, yes. I was thinking more about when you're just a kid and you were just bending the bejesus out of them. But yeah, spinning the goon on yes, true part of things. And I like <laughs> people tried to turn them into tents and bits and pieces, and they um yeah, they're so, they're so symbolic of our backyards, aren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now you you uh, obviously in the first part of your career pursued um, your passion. Do you, do you sometimes wish you'd done it the other way around and just gone hard on architecture and or are you happy with the way things have have uh, unfolded for you? Oh, not at all. I mean, I think it was um, the fun of being a young person doing stupid things was fabulous. Um, you know, now I can just be a little bit more earnest about things, but it's just an evolution, I think. No, and it's a, it's a really good question, and because people always go, oh, "Well, I was never, I never had any interest in becoming an architect. I'd be a terrible architect, and I, I can't um, imagine doing that, and I can't imagine what my having clients that would particularly like me." So, um, it's just a, it's just a real interesting second act, and I think people yeah fall into jobs sometimes, and they don't understand, you know, people. Yep. How many times? You, how many times have you spoken to someone who says, "Oh, I started working here for three months, and then twenty-five years later, they walk out the door, and um, we're all in danger yeah. of staying staying in and doing things that just because we're good at them, not because we love them." Well, just on that, uh, your new show, "Designing a Legacy," I want to play a little bit for the listeners now. Three bedrooms and a hill's hoist in the back garden. These are what our program's all about the past, the present and future, and what's gone on in between. Well, the trouble seems to be not bad taste, but a lack of taste. We always hear about what goes into building a house, but rarely hear about what happens next, the lives that get lived there. And that's the most interesting bit. A house is more than just deadlines and project management, they're homes. A home is where we learn to ride a bike, revel in our sporting triumphs, and we learn how to resolve arguments with our siblings. Yeah, give him one. It's where mums committed crimes in electric fry pans and gave us terrible home haircuts. Home is where our kids grow up before our very eyes. It was a childhood dream of bliss. He's only interested in sex or architecture, so try those subjects. It's a really interesting twist where something aggressive becomes something uh, all about home and family and community. 
Every home is different and some have extraordinary stories to tell. You couldn't have this house sitting in lawn and palm trees. It would never happen these days. I guess I was beginning to understand this idea about what design can do. And how a home is designed really affects us. When we opened the Sydney Opera House, the Queen said... The human spirit must sometimes take wings or sail and create something which is not just utilitarian and complicated. She was right. There is a daily power to how we design, and particularly so for our homes. These are the stories of the people whose lives have been shaped by their remarkable homes. Mum be, oh, not again. <laughs> oh, and she'd be walking around a little nighty and nothing else. And then suddenly they look at the house and they said, ah. Oh. It's just a nice space. It's nice to come home to. I still think of it as home. We'll go inside to show that when we design with conviction and consideration, architecture can affect more than those who live in it. I really couldn't hear much of what the Rilo was saying. It was sort of irrelevant. It was just mesmerising, magical. I say, yeah, great. I've got 11 roller doors and no garage. <laughs> I believe that architecture has a spirit that can elevate us all and that what we build ultimately builds us. That is designing a legacy. That's uh, a great intro. It really, uh, it really takes the viewer on a journey. How did the idea come about for that show? I spent a lot of time performing in people's houses amongst all the things that I've done over the years. And because I like architecture, I came up with this show called Man About the House. And it was because I wanted to perform in great places. I wanted to, and I spent a lot of time going to open houses that certain organisations would put on where you'd get to see inside great houses from the 50s and 60s and 70s. And oh, I always thought, imagine if I could have a drink here or I could hang out here or it would be, it was like a party. So I took that idea and turned it into a show and which, um, you know, performed all around the country and it would take it to America. And up until recently, we were going to, to London every year to do it uh, in, in different places. And so I'd, I'd just come in contact with all these great stories and people who had, um, had lived in significant homes. And they always found that there was this ongoing story about people who had, uh, had grown up in architecturally significant homes. Often their parents were the, one of their parents was the architect. And how incredibly difficult it was to say goodbye to that family home. Uh, and that's hard for all of us. But for some reason, uh, which we explore in the show, is that... Yeah, some houses it's harder to say goodbye and it it was difficult for these people to say goodbye and, and the concept of their homes being destroyed was too much for them so we had these situations where people sold them for a lot less than they should or or gave them away and i was or bought the house their family home back and i was so struck by those stories because they were such great stories so um you know i just thought well this would make another good television and i made a, another series for the abc called streets of your town which sort of tracked the evolution of Australian homes from the 1950s till today and that went pretty well people tended to seem to like that and so I thought oh well you know I'll make another one and bloody hell it took me some time to get it up um such is the way with these things <laughs> this is five years in between drinks so um but yeah ultimately I knew that there were great characters and great people and I knew and I I knew that despite it being about architecture it's not really about architecture it's about people it's about the concept of home it's about the, the concept of people what our homes mean to us and how um they're spaces where we 
we we learn things we're we're at our happiest um and i suppose in the last year people have really clung on to that after spending more time in their homes than they really should in some ways we understand the importance of them we we also understand their flaws um and what we need from our homes to mm. To, to, mm. to live a better life so that though all those things sort of come into play in in creating a program like this well i love that you're doing it this is great australian lives for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives and plenty more with tim ross up next You're listening to Great Australian Lives with With Laura Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. In America in the late 1940s, we had two architects who were experimenting with glass pavilions. We had Mies van der Rohe and his extraordinary Farnsworth house and Johnson with his aptly named Glass House. But at the same time, in 1949, architect Esmond Dorney was also experimenting with transparency and it was happening right here in Hobart and Tasmania. A Melbourne boy, Esmond's architectural career had been interrupted by the war, where he was interned in a prisoner of war camp. On his return, he moved here to Hobart and bought a plot of land at Porter Hill on an abandoned gun emplacement. He would end up building three homes for his family on this site. Talk us through how there's a few houses. Uh, the first one was, was a little timber house. It was probably the world's first glass house. It was my mother's favourite, actually. It was supposed to be temporary. It was temporary for 17 years, the little house we grew up in. It was just a little glass circular house. So it was built onto the fort, but the fort was actually the floor. So instead of being sort of the dominant, aggressive nature of the fort, which pre-existed the house, obviously, it becomes home. There's a really interesting twist where something aggressive becomes something uh, all about home and family and community. I think it's, it's a nice, strong idea, and I think that's how we felt about it. We've become world experts in losing houses to fire, I think. It burned in 98. A bunch of kids started a fire over near Kingston over the hills here, and uh, it sort of powered through and took out the house. Here we are now where the original house was. Mm. No, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about in the late 1940s, your folks decide to build a house here. They worked very hard. Uh, they were, materials were almost impossible to get. Everything had to be carried up for a start. The road had to be rebuilt before they could get any access in it. It all washed away. So they did it pretty tough up here for a while. In 1966, Esmond took advantage of better materials and new technology and completed a more sophisticated version of his original idea but it wasn't to last long. That house burnt in the 78. The story is mum and dad had sheltered in the underground bunkers and the fort underneath the houses had burnt because it was death outside. And when I finally got in touch with mum a couple of days later, she said, oh, actually, as we sheltered under the house, uh, as it was burning, uh, he'd found a piece of paper and a pencil he was sketching what he was going to do next. (laughs) So that was this one. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our guest tonight is Tim Ross, whose new documentary film, Designing a Legacy, explores the lives lived in some of our most architecturally significant homes. Tim, tell us more about Esmond Dorney. Uh, we just heard a little bit about from the intro of, uh, of your show with him. Why did you want to share his story on Designing a Legacy? I just thought it was the best story ever. Uh, you got this guy who was an architect in Melbourne, in the 1930s, he goes to war, World War Two, ends up in sort of war camp, and his family thought he was mm, dead. Incredible. And then he came home, and 
his family completely moved on. There was another man sleeping in his bed, driving his car and using his golf clubs. And apparently the story goes he was only upset oh about the God. golf clubs. And so he <laughs> he escaped the horrors of war. He fell in love with his a nurse. You know, he had to really start again. And he went, of all places, he went to funny old Hobart in the late 1940s. And then he created one of the most advanced houses in the country, if not in the world. So I love this story about this sort of what can happen in isolation. And then on top mm. of this, you've got a guy who builds these series of glass pavilions up on the top of this hill. And no one really understood them, but apart from the people, it's, the architecture industry thought he was mad. But the people loved his houses. And then he, the first one burnt down and then the second one burnt down. And when the second one burnt down, he was in the – he had a, like a fire bunker underneath it. And so the fire was burning above – his house was burning to, to down above him and then he was sketching the new one. Um, and so – and then he wow. left his house uh, and, and the council wanted to buy it. And the family were offered, I think, I think $10 million from developers for the – all of the land and the house and they were only really interested in the land and the family couldn't couldn't deal with the fact that this beautiful home their family home that was so significant for the people of tasmania if not the country uh really Mm -hmm. just wanted the land and they probably would have demolished it so um though the developers would have demolished it so they they sold it for a lot less money um to the hobart city council and not many people would do that most people take is what they can from their family no. assets, but they probably took, you know, what was on offer. Um, <laughs> Just so that it couldn't be demolished. Yeah, and, and so it, Esmond's legacy would, would remain. Um, and, of course, it's a round uh, glass house. It's like something out of the Jetsons. It's everything that we come to love from the, from the idea of a sort of post-war architecture, that exciting. Uh, it, it's a challenge to many love people. That. How would you live in a glass house? And um, I'd been there doing a show, and I fell in love with the house, and I just knew that we we had to we had to put it in a film one at one at one stage. Now, as you mentioned, it was uh, there's a lot of glass involved that home. It's a little bit space age, like the Jetsons. But he still managed, and his kid have, kids have described it. It still managed to feel homely. That 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 takes real expertise, doesn't it, to to marry the two. Yes, and I think it's to do with the size. I mean, to be honest, it, it is, um, it's got a breathtaking view of the bush and the water. And we take it for granted, we go down to Tasmania now, that one of the reasons we like Tasmania is because of the wilderness. It's because of uh, the landscape down there. But in that time, you know, the Tasmanians would turn their back onto the landscape. Uh, the houses wouldn't open up to them. Um, they try and sort of fight it. Um, and so I think that's really what's important about the house too. And it's also in that house, because it was so well connected to the landscape, that's where the, um, I suppose, the green movement in terms of um, conservation movement in, in Tasmania was born, where they started to realise that uh, from a wilderness point of view, uh, that, that it was so important to, to, to look after the landscape and, and, um, and that continues to this day. Do you find that, um, you know, you mentioned before the fire burning around his homes, he's, he's, he's still gone on and continued to build in those same areas. Do you reckon that's um, courageous or foolish? <laughs> um, oh, it's madness really, isn't it, to build, you know. And he also, not only did he, uh, they were all, it's hard to describe, like one, yeah, so he had two houses burnt down and then he had he also had a small office that, 
was burnt by some teenagers. So, yeah, it was madness, <laughs> but he it just enabled him to to to, conti- to continue his fabulous ideas. Um, and you know, he had, he had plenty of them. And the the interesting thing about Esmond Dorney is that he he had a he had some really interesting buildings in Tasmania that, including this one. And the guy David Walsh had created Mona. He David Walsh loved Esmond's work, and there was a near near where he grew up. There was a laundromat that he designed that was same thing, very obviously very advanced. It was very it was very progressive, and 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 I suppose spoke of the the optimism of the 1960s. And David Walsh attributes that to his interest in architecture. And so if you look at the some of the sort of the ongoing legacy of Esmond is that he can he helped inspire David Walsh to I suppose you know change Tasmania forever when he when he created the Mona Gallery and um, that's deeply embedded in in a concept of architecture working in the environment and also architecture's power to excite and sometimes be controversial. Yeah. Do you, do you know who was inspiring Dorney? I mean, you, he was a trailblazer, but everyone gets their ideas from somewhere. Do you know where he was getting it from? I mean, he did some pretty interesting houses in Melbourne that were, were, that were very much of the time. But there was something about being overseas, I mean, being isolated in Tasmania and, and, and not having anything other than his own mind. I mean, most of them would get most of their ideas from books. Um, but you think yeah. about trying to get a, a book featuring overseas architects in Tasmania in the 1940s, it'd take years for those some of those books yeah. to... And I, I think Certainly that's what makes... Googling it. So, yeah, you're not Googling it. And it's a really good yeah. point is that we can find anything now, but it was much harder then. So um, it's yeah. very important to think about it in terms of what we can create in isolation in terms of our national identity, I think. I think we forget how good we are at doing things. And stories like this are, are proof that what we can achieve um, off our own back without, um, you know, without any interference, which is great. It's probably a good point to make at the moment with all the lockdowns we've been through when you're talking about isolation. I mean, I know we still have the internet, but no one's travelling and getting inspiration. There's no architectural conferences, nothing like that. So maybe we'll see a new era uh, as we come out of COVID in architecture. I hope so. I mean, I think it was certainly people starting to think about what's not working with their houses and whether um, open plan is is everything. Everyone's moving to the bush. And everyone's moving to the bush, and that's and that creates its own issues as well. Um, you know, because what happens? Do we end up ruining what? Why we like places? Um, yeah. Are we better off creating new cities and new towns rather than piling on to, to existing towns? And um, you know, and, our, and then our city, poor old cities with no one left in them. Um, you know, what, what 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 do they look like in the future? And how we how do we how do we make how do we resuscitate those? things or our inner city which was you know you're certainly seeing it in melbourne and and sydney where the inner city which was you know that was the most popular place to be um you know that the, the inner city doesn't deliver at the moment so it's 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 an interesting it's the biggest population shift i think we've seen in 60 70 years and um it's i don't think it's going to be temporary and um it will change our regions regions forever and hopefully for the better i love the idea of it only because i mean obviously there'll be issues in in the big regional centers but those smaller country towns that we see really struggling and and homes just 
being deserted and, um, you know, shop fronts closed, you know, maybe we'll breathe new life into those small towns like, you know, your Minyips and, and um, you know, really tiny places throughout Victoria that I've been sad to drive through and, and see there's so much history there and it's been left behind. So maybe maybe this is, maybe we're back in, the, in yeah. those places. We're coming uh, back. The great thing about Victoria is geographically everything's quite close to the city, you know, elsewhere and yeah. in the country, you know, you're miles and miles and miles away. So um, getting your head around that. And, I mean, it's so pretty too. Um, as a kid growing up in Melbourne, I, th- I thought all country towns around the country were as pretty as Victorian country towns, but not everyone had the gold rush. And right. so the, the effect of the gold rush into the Yeah, of course. Towns yeah. It's like, whoa, you know, they don't. They don't look as pretty as ours. Fair enough. Well, this is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And in these challenging times, Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral and pay tribute to your loved one. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au and more with Tim Ross when we return. As his commercial business flourished, John took his family west, using his learnings from his Harvard days to design and build his ideal family farmhouse in Ugara near Orange. Paying deep attention to the needs of a rural location, the home is a prefabricated one-storey steel pavilion, John's modernist take on a traditional Australian homestead. Got the farm quite deliberately to sort of give my sons the opportunity to sort of become involved in the real Australia. They worked the shearing thing, they did the ploughing in the right time and the harvesting and they did all that. And they really learnt how to cut wood and chop down a tree and drive a truck and all that sort of stuff. We learnt to drive vehicles and harvest and shear sheep and weld and all of those things. Did you enjoy that? Oh, loved it. You loved it? Oh, that's loved it. John extended his commercial philosophies to the design of his home, letting the landscape and the needs and practical comfort of his family dictate its form. Let a building be what it wants to be. Nobody really knows how big a living room should be or how big their living room should be. You've got to work out how big it needs to be by seeing what goes in it, seeing how they use it. You've got to get to understand what the problems are and then you might know what the building wants to be because it likes to have its problems solved and get its form from the solution. He was always t- talking about people, the space around them, it's for them. You know, it's not a building that has to end up on the cover of a magazine. We're doing this to either house people, create a work environment, you know, make it comfortable, make it appropriate. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. I'm Laura Turner and our guest tonight is Tim Ross. And we heard Tim talking with John Andrews there from Designing a Legacy, which you can watch anytime on ABC iView. Tim is with me now. Now, watching you interview John Andrews, Tim, it's easy to see that that was a big thrill for you. He was a great Australian, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a guy who is a grew up in Sydney, he was the first in his family to go to university um, and then felt the need to, to after studying architecture to, to, to go to America where he went to Harvard and he found great success there and this is a guy who has designed these incredible buildings in North America. He designed full campuses in, in, in Toronto. He did the CN Tower, which is the, the huge tower in Toronto that people know. And then they asked him to design the, the Harvard School of Architecture, which is a huge, 
huge achievement for this young kid f- from Australia. Mm. And then, you know, he came back to Australia and he built, designed a whole bunch of, you know, huge commercial buildings and bits and pieces. And, you know, fast forward to today, he's a guy whose buildings in America are named after him. They're lauded, they're, they're heritage protected. Um, he's still a rock star in many, of, in many ways for those buildings. And here we can't help but knock them down. And no one really knows who he is outside the architecture fraternity. So it was really important for me to sort of um, include him in this story. And, you know, he's a terrific guy in his 80s and he's pushing himself in around in a wheelchair and he's full of life. He's only got one leg left. But he's he's great and he presents a bit like a – he presents more like a National Party MP than an architect. And I think that's sort of <laughs> – he's, he's a bit of a straight, straight shooter. And I think that's – I think there's something really beautiful about that. I think there's something that's – truly yeah. relatable about a, 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 a pra- I call him the practical outsider. He, he sits outside his profession. He's not what we expect from an architecture. He's just a, an Australian problem solver. For those uh, listeners who are not familiar with John Andrews, what um, architectural footprint, if you like, has he left on Australia? Well, the, it's, it, in, in Victoria, his best known buildings are what's now the police centre, which is the old World Trade Centre. Um, and then there's the Hotel not the police centre anymore, actually. Oh, there you go. I don't... They've moved on. Yeah. But only just recently they've moved on. They've yeah. moved on. So, um, and there's a, there's a, the, I'm trying to think of it, whatever, the hotel next to it. And then he did the exhibition centre in Sydney, which got knocked over. And in Canberra, the sort of Cameron and Callum offices, which were huge buildings. And um, parts of those have been demolished as well because they were misunderstood. You know, they're not buildings that people will look at like the opera house but they were buildings designed to do 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 a job and do them well and we probably don't give them the respect that they deserve i often think this when i drive through the suburbs and you see you know the mass produced houses out there and um the buildings that you know the skyscrapers of and some are pretty good in melbourne you know some are a bit different but do you cringe at the current um footprint that we're leaving you know what legacy are we leaving architecturally for our children at the moment do you think we're in danger of raising you know huge parts of 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 our our collective history um you know there's certain suburbs in in melbourne that all of them should be heritage you know full sections of them should be heritage listed and they're just the councils don't care and and what they're being replaced with are certainly not better than what was there so the streetscapes are being destroyed and the style of housing which disconnects to the street, that disconnects to our to the way that we want to live, um, the lack of thought about just planting. People hate trees these days. They don't want to plant trees. Um, so you've got people building houses that take up all of the block with, without any, any Australian gardens. I, I, I think it's really sad and I, I understand why people want more space or they think space is more important, but what you were raised to get that or or misunderstanding that, that more space equals good design, I think is probably at the heart of the problem. Heartbreaking. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives and Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral and pay tribute to your loved one. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll wrap things up with design enthusiast and self-confessed architecture nerd Tim Ross in just a moment. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our guest tonight is comedian, TV presenter and design nerd Tim Ross. You can watch his new doco, Designing a Legacy, on ABC iView right now. Tim, you have talked openly about taking your kids trick-or-treating down some of the swanky streets simply so you can pray that they open their doors so you can see inside the beautiful houses. Is that true? Do you do it's that? It's 100% true. It's 100% true and they hate me for it. But uh, <laughs> I, I do like seeing What a great it. idea. Do they open the door? Yeah, they do. And people are quite kind, you know, like a lot of people, um, you know, have seen my shows or know that I'm into architecture. And if you've got a particular house right. in a particular period, they will um, open up the doors and they're very kind like that. And it, it helps bring communities together. And also I get to see inside yeah, some good yeah, houses. Yeah. And the kids get to learn a little bit about architecture. Yeah. Do the kids like it or do they want you to just pipe it down, Dad? No, they do. I mean, we live in a 1950s house and the kids have got pretty interesting rooms with that are sort of floor to ceiling glass and um i think that that does change awesome. you know the way their lives live um they're connected to nature in yeah. terms of the outdoors and they're they're um they live in a house that's full of weird and wonderful people coming over and weird and wonderful furniture and um that's a that's a that's in a sort of an expression of of, of a way of living and i you sort of hope it does i've met people who've grown up in in, in the house that I own that weren't affected by it and that happens that's the bizarre thing you know mm. sometimes you've got to let architecture do it do its magic on you you've got to allow it to wash over you absolutely I could not agree with you more so what next for Tim Ross you're an extremely busy man at the moment can we ask you <laughs> what's next on the cards oh we just keep plow, plowing through and make some more documentaries and, and and some more live shows and touring and then we're going to do a book of designing a legacy and um, you know and I my my thing is my, I've got I've got two young boys and I've got a very a, 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 a Bugsy very and Bobby very cute Bugsy and Bobby and I've got a very clever wife who has a very successful business that's becoming more important than mine which is good and so um, yeah I'm semi retirement in some way <laughs> but, you know I spend more time look after spend more time picking up the boys and and spending time with them to allow Michelle um, to, to to fulfill her dreams with her career um, so much of. Uh, our life together, is, I suppose, has been about her bringing up the boys and, and my career, so it's really time for her to shine, yeah. to be honest. Good on you. That's beautiful. And you're the man behind Modernista on Instagram, which is a huge success. So uh, if you've been listening tonight and want to have a look, a quick look on the socials, it's uh, at Modernista. Yeah, it's fun and games. It's, I love a, uh, it's a very popular one. Yes, you yeah. know, people like houses. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> Uh, Tim, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show tonight. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful chat, Laura. Thanks so much and all the best. If you've enjoyed our chat with Tim Ross and you'd like to share it with a friend, subscribe to the Great Australian Lives podcast. So this is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. I'm Laura Turner. And, of course, join me the same time next week when we celebrate another Great Australian Live. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating Lives.